0: Good morning, and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. This morning, I want to chat with you about Jewish spirituality. It's a very common misconception among Jews and non-Jews alike that Judaism is so concerned with ritual and traditions that it has little time to focus on the spiritual journey of the individual. But nothing could be further from the truth. Consider for a moment the son of Isaac, Jacob, of whom we read in the book of Genesis. We're going to use the story of Jacob as a vehicle into the notion of Jewish spirituality. So consider for a moment Jacob, a kid on the run, a mama's boy out in the wilderness, alone for the very first time in his life, He carries only a satchel with the food his mother prepared for him to take on his journey. Pretending to be Esau, you might remember, before his blind old father, he has stolen his brother's blessing, just as years earlier he tricked him out of his birthright inheritance. Now Jacob is all alone, and there's no turning back. Perhaps we can relate to the biblical patriarch in this state, afraid alone, imperfect. Jacob was embarking on a journey with an uncertain destination. Perhaps you've been there too. Having grown up in the midst of material well-being, having achieved the successes we were meant to achieve, all of us may still find ourselves in a kind of wilderness, partially inherited, partially of our own making. Where are we? Where are we going? Why are our steps so tenuous? Why does the ground feel so shaky underfoot? When we begin the journey, we certainly don't know the answers. Jacob's journey took him from his home in 'er Beersheba toward the old country of Haran. On the first night, you may remember, he came upon a certain place and stopped there to sleep. He dreamed a dream of angels ascending and descending on a ladder. At the top of the ladder, there was God. And God said to Jacob, I am Adonai, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. This land upon which you are lying, I will give to you and your descendants after you. Your descendants shall be the dust of the earth spreading out to the four corners of the earth, the east and the west, the north and the south. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you and your descendants. Behold, I am with you. I will guard and watch over everywhere you go, and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not abandon you until I have done all that I have spoken. The text tells us that Jacob jumped up out of his sleep. It was still in the middle of the night. And he declared, surely God is in this place, and I, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place. It is none other than the very house of God, and this is the gateway to heaven. Then he went back to bed and asleep. In the morning, Jacob took the stone, which had served as his pillow, set up a pillar, anointed it with oil. He renamed the site Beit El, house of God, and then he made a vow saying, If God remains with me, and watches over me on this journey, giving me bread to eat and clothes to wear, and I return in peace to my father's house. Then Adonai will be my God, and this is the stone that I made into a pillar shall be the site of God's house. And all that God gives me, I will tithe 10%. What a fascinating story. How would modern day psychotherapies therapists respond to such an account? Imagine, if you would, for a moment, bringing this dream material to a therapist. The therapist asked, how did this dream make you feel? And you say, well, it actually made me feel pretty good. And the therapist says, well, that makes sense. You were upset. You were frightened. You were alone. You felt guilty about tricking your old blind father. For all you knew, your tough, buff, athletic health club brother was chasing you. Therapist continues, after all, you know, you had cheated Esau for the second time out of a considerable sum of money. Of course, the therapist reminds you that the dream is self-serving. It assured you that you did the right thing, that God is on your side. So in the morning, cleared of guilt, your confidence restored, you resume your journey. You're reminded that it makes perfect sense for you. And certainly, sitting here today, we can read Jacob's dream as a psychological justification for his crime. But what's more important than the dream is the dreamer's own interpretation. Jacob truly believed God was talking to him in his dream. Rather than seeking vindication for his actions, he was seeking proof of God. This willingness to believe marks the beginning of Jacob's spiritual journey to himself and to his God. Parallel journeys which ultimately lead to the same place. And according to Jewish tradition, this is the starting point of all of our personal journeys. We begin by leaving home and everything that is familiar to us. Someday we will return, but the search must start in unfamiliar territory. We will be charting new ground. Self-awareness is an ongoing act of discovery. And so, according to Jewish tradition, is God-awareness. Steps are taken in small increments, though every once in a while we have a breakthrough experience in which all is clear and defined Jacob, according to the book of Genesis, is an Ishtam, a kind of naive, soft young man, unknowing, protected, without struggle. I suppose you could say that Jacob's journey was his outward-bound solo, a test of his survival skills, especially those that come from within oneself. And do we remember our first challenge Was it a relationship that never got fully realized? Was it going off to college or was it our first job? Was it the divorce you thought you could never have? The death of someone you love, transitions and loss, failures in deed or will, this is the stuff of life that sets us on our journeys, seeking the ladders that will lead us to ourselves and to our God. Every life has such moments of challenge, they weave themselves into the very fabric of who we are and what we can become. Back in Genesis, when Jacob woke from his dream in the middle of the night, he was certain of God's presence. For the ancients, the dream world was just another dimension of reality, every bit as real as our conscious waking existence. Often, it is in dreams that God has revealed and speak to us because in dreams we are open to hearing what God has to say. The place Jacob thought was an old place turned out to be the house of God, the gateway to heaven. The Hebrew text in Genesis uses the word makom for place. And later in the Talmud, the Hebrew word makom is another word, another name for God, the place. Jacob had really come to God's place, only did not know it. Was this an unusual place, a holy place, or was it any old place? Makom, the Hebrew, allows it to be both. There are unique places in which we recognize or feel the presence of God. Perhaps we've seen God in a special place in nature like the Grand Canyon or the Canadian Rockies. Or in a favorite spot in our backyard. An altar we have created in our home or a synagogue or church. Or maybe we can feel God's presence any place, every place we have an awareness and the will to make do. There are ladders stretching forth from heaven to earth Angels busy accompanying us on our journeys as we go up and down, a celestial changing of the guard. God is there as well, at the top of the ladder on our sides. Again, the Hebrew allows for both. Jacob had found God's place without realizing it. Ironically, he had to go to sleep to wake up to this reality. Perhaps we all do. You know, uh, every year at the end of the High Holy Day services, this year they begin at the end of of, uh, September, something happens. It's an amazing occurrence. And now after nearly 40 years as a rabbi, I know what to expect. Once the large crowd thins out, people come over to me, sheepish, visibly moved, and they say something like this, Rabbi, this was the most incredible high holidays ever. I don't know what it was, but I know things are going to be different for me. I'm going to start coming to services more, and more often. I really mean it. I don't want to lose this wonderful feelings. And usually... I say something like, terrific. I'll look forward to seeing you next Shabbat. And if you want to talk some more about your experience, just give me a call. Then they shake my hand or give me a hug. And I don't see them until the next year. Of course, when I do see them next, I don't bring up their high holiday, holy day revelation, and neither do they. I know, like Jacob, it was sincere when they said it. Something happened during those holy day moments for them. Something genuine. The liturgy struck a chord. An old phrase was heard in a new way. The sermon perhaps had particular relevance to where they were in their life. Or perhaps it was an event in their own lives that made it all look different. A parent had died, a child started dating a non-Jew, business was particularly good or unbelievably bad. They dreamt they had felt God's presence. Like Jacob, there are moments in which we are convinced of God's reality, and at those moments we are ready to change our lives. But for most of us, such moments are not enough. We need constant confirmation that what we thought we felt, what we want so desperately to believe in, is real. Even Jacob, who had a vivid encounter with God that night in the wilderness, awoke with his confidence shaken, we have been there also You have a dream so convincing you wake up sweating, distressed, elated, convinced that you receive some message, some truth. And perhaps you wrote it down on the pad you keep by your bedside. And in the morning, still excited and shaken from your nocturnal experience, you read from the pad. And in the morning light, nothing you've jotted down makes sense anymore. Jacob attempted to ritualize a spiritual experience that so that it could be repeated. He set up an altar, remember, and then he made a deal. If God provided him with food and clothing, and if he was returned to his home in peace, of course, the Hebrew in that section of Genesis is shalem, which literally means whole and intact, then only then would Adonai be his God. But if not by implication, Jacob was off the hook. Jacob was seeking physical evidence that dream was not just a dream. He wanted proof that there was really God who appeared to him in the night. You know, Woody Allen's character in the early film of Allen's career, Love and Death, said he wanted a sign. If only Jacob had a sign, then he would believe Then his faith would be unshakable. Jacob was young. He was at the beginning of his spiritual journey, no matter what his age. It was the beginning of his journey. And this was an immature faith, a faith that requires tangible reminders of God's reality. The Torah teaches us a very powerful lesson about the nature of faith journey. Faith does not require proof or miracles. Proofs do not create faith. This truth was reinforced at the Sinaitic experience, where an immature people received dramatic proof of God's existence. They saw the parting of the Sea of Reeds, Then they heard the very voice of God. So awesome was this experience that they said to Moses, talk to God. Whatever you say, we will do it. And then later we will try to comprehend. Na'asev nishma. Yet 40 days later, they created a statue out of gold and called it their God. The golden calf. True faith does not require proofs or miracles. And they do not create faith. Jacob's faith journey, his spiritual awakening, was marked by moments of awareness and certainty as well as moments of distance and doubt. That's why his journey is so important for us. Jacob's journey, that's the stuff of true faith. There are moments when the curtains are parted and we know with certainty that we are not alone. We are not connected to all that ever was and all that will ever be. We are at that moment connected to the one. Perhaps it came at a funeral in the midst of our sadness and grief. A word that someone said or a fleeting memory. Perhaps it was at the birth of your children witnessing the miracle, which is life, or jogging along familiar paths, chopping veggies at the sink, the way the sun was shining through your office window, the dust particles dancing in the air, a certain smell, a song that came on the radio, the chanting of Hebrew in the synagogue, which you have yet to really understand. Then there are other moments when we feel totally alone, When there is no God for us or anyone else, when we need proof or a sign and we want to make that deal, moments of pain and emptiness and loss, doubt in Jewish tradition is belief's twin. We cannot have one without the other and that's why in the story of Jacob, the power of the dream is followed so quickly by his bargaining with God. The spiritual journeys of every great tradition are marked with the stories of the wilderness or the desert when all seemed dark or distant and God's face was hidden from our view, but this was just the beginning of Jacob's journey. He found the ladder, but remember the ladder he sees has angels going up and down He had yet to learn how to climb that ladder to heaven. As in the lives of many young people, Jacob's relationship to God took a backseat after his initial encounter. Remember, over the course of years after that wonderful mystical moment, he met and fell in love with Rachel married and had a family, entered his father-in-law's business and became quite successful through his shrewdness and acumen. When we are young, at the height of our physical prowess, our attention is focused outward. Our energies are subsumed in the world of matter. We are fully engaged in being creative and procreative and changing and rearranging and fixing the world we encounter. With so many distractions, it's challenging to nourish our inner and spiritual world. When everything's going just right, we may be vaguely aware of God's presence in the background of our daily lives. Jacob may have really known that it was God who gave him children. He may have really intuited it was God who allowed him to prosper, the God he met in that first awesome dream, the God of material blessing, the department store God. Just ask and you shall receive. Of course, how many of us relate to God in that way? God exists when we get what we ask for, be it a new car or health, a new job or a loved one. God doesn't exist, we feel, when we turn up empty-handed. Immature spirituality sees God as a dispensary. Supplying our every want, those with more are more greatly blessed. The satisfaction of our basic needs is something we expect as a prerequisite for life, not something we're thankful for. As the rabbi said in Pirkei Avod, Ein in torah without bread without physical sustenance, we cannot study Torah. But as we all know, being well-fed and having a roof over our heads is no guarantee that life's going to be smooth sailing, and it is through the difficult experiences, life's challenges as well as life's rewards, not separate and apart from them, that Jewish spirituality is formed. Jacob, Was deceived and mistreated by his father in law, and later, as it turns out, by his own sons. He had to work seven years for a wife he did not want. He was plagued by domestic squabbling and jealousy. And he, together with Rachel, his second and most beloved wife, faced infertility. This is real life with real life problems and real life mistakes. Jacob was not a perfect person and his encounter with God was not unlike our own. Momentary, fleeting, now clear, now vague, certain, uncertain. Jacob's awareness of God did not remove him from the bumps and bruises and scars that mark all of our lives. It did not remove him from having to live that life and perhaps most important, It did not remove him from the errors and failures that made him human. Such is the power of the biblical journey to God. You know, somehow we have this notion that the spiritual journey as a destination, and once we arrive there, we are done. Jacob's journey continues, you might remember. This time when Jacob stopped for the night he saw the angels immediately and changed the name of the place Machanaim God's camp. Jacob had changed. He was God aware. His prior experience in the years in Haran changed him and through his trans- though his transformation was not total as Judaism teaches spirituality doesn't work that way. Jacob was still flawed, human, untrusting of God and the other people. Years later, many years after the journey began, he sent word to his brother Esau, indicated that he had grown quite wealthy in Haran. And there was something in it for Esau as well. The messengers returned, reporting that Esau was on his way to meet him. Esau and 400 men. Jacob, frightened, assumed that Esau was coming to seek his revenge. He lined up his troops, and then he talked to God, reminding the Holy One of the promises made to him. He implied in this supplication to God that Adonai's promises of bounty and countless offspring would ring false if his brother destroyed all that Jacob had gained while in Haran. So you ask yourself, Are these the actions of one who is spiritually enlightened? And the answer in Torah is, of course, well, yes and no. If we expect that awareness of God leads automatically to unshakable faith, to perfected human interaction, then we will be sorely disappointed in Jacob. Jacob took matters into his own hands. He plotted, he schemed, he connived, and even worse, he was still bargaining with God. He had yet to truly believe the promise. And perhaps Jacob's greatest flaw at that point was his inability to come to terms with his sin against his brother, ascribing the lowest of human motivations to Esau. He was not ready for the encounter. And so the text tells us that Jacob had to wrestle. The text says that his opponent was a man, Ish, and perhaps it was But in the morning, Jacob believed it was a divine being, an Elohim, a God, and he renamed the place Peniel, the face of God. Not the place of God, but the face of God. He saw God and lived. Prophet Hosea suggested that perhaps it was an angel with whom he had wrestled. What matters was not the adversary, but the process. Once again, Jacob was alone in the wilderness As opposed to his first encounter with God, this one would not be gentle, but it was awesome. And there was transformation and change. Jacob was blessed and diminished. He was blessed by having his name changed from Yaakov, heel grabber, to Yisrael, the one who wrestles with God. And throughout the Torah, people and things are named for their characteristics or distinct qualities. We've all known a number of people, for example, who've changed their name or taken on a new name in adulthood. Somehow their birth title no longer fits them, no longer incorporates who they have become. Jacob was injured in this encounter with the angel. For the rest of the life, he limps a reminder of his struggle and a reminder to us that spiritual journey is fraught with dangers. Life does, not in, life does injure us. We are each in our own way wounded by what life has brought us. Enlightenment also has its price. Not every change is for the better. We are foolish if we think we can travel this path and come away unscathed. So as Israel, Jacob went to meet his brother who greeted him with an embrace and kisses. Both brothers wept. Life had been good to Esau, and he had forgiven his brother. He wanted Jacob to come live with him in Seir. For Esau, the reconciliation was complete. But for Jacob, he told his brother that he could not join him, and he never did. The deceiver still could not be honest With his brother. Whether he was guilty or jealous, he's simply incapable of befriending his brother is unclear. But the sadness is that though Esau was willing to let go of the past, his brother, blessed by God and enlightened, was chained by his past behavior. Jacob's character flaw, his inability to deal honestly with people, was not rooted out of him despite his God encounters. Transformation was not total and apparently was never completed. We could go on and on and talk about Jacob's life. But you understand, of course, that we are all Jacob in Israel and that it is our spiritual reality. Like Jacob, we were all on a journey, destination uncertain. We are all wounded. And most of the time we try to hide these scars, yet even the toughest of us has to limp sometimes. And there are moments when the way seems clear and we know where we are headed. There are connections we make with others and with God and the light, the path, and steady our steps. Antiphonial moments, mundane moments, moments of crisis and moments of joy. Moments that we work toward and moments that surprise us and catch us unaware. Moments that bring a smile to our lips and moments that strike terror in our hearts. We are Jacob, an ordinary and imperfect human being touched by the moments of goodness. And that is Jewish spirituality. That is our Jewish inheritance and our birthright. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten for Jewish Facts and Jewish Faith, and I wish you a good morning.